Welcome to the Plain Ordinary Dragon Podcast. We're so glad you're here today. We'd never take your time for granted because we realize that time's the most precious resource any of us have. And the fact that you are willing to share some of yours with us is pretty humbling and we really appreciate it. So thank you for being here. Today is going to be an exciting episode because we're going to go back through season one and hit some of the highlights. We do kind of what I'm calling a retrospective. And so I'm really excited about that. But before we get into that, I just want to do a little bit of housekeeping. There are a couple things that really help us. And one of those things is giving us a review on iTunes or on Podchaser or really anywhere that you can put out some different uh, reviews of the show, uh, that really helps. So if you haven't done that yet, please go out and, and do that. That will really help the show and it will help the message of the show. And if you resonate with that, I really appreciate it if you can spare the time. Also, I'm doing a newsletter every week, and if you'd like to be included on that, then it's really pretty simple to sign up. Just go to plainordinarydragon.com forward slash subscribe and uh, enter your email and the name, and you'll be put on the on the newsletter. There is not going to be any marketing done on that. It's just a newsletter. Uh, if we do any marketing campaigns and things like that, uh, that will be an opt-in process, so just FYI. Now, uh, if, you, if you have a hard time doing the slash subscribe, just go to plainordinarydragon.com and look up on the uh, menu bar and it will say email sign up and you can go there and do that. So if you want to hear what's going on with Plain Ordinary Dragon, there's some things that we put in the newsletter that are not on the website and not on the podcast. So uh, if you want to keep up with that, that's the place to do it. Now, the housekeeping is out of the way. Let's go ahead and get started. The first person that we highlighted, we're going to kind of go in chronological order. So the first person that, that we're highlighting is the interview with Tim Jackson. And here is one of his takes on things that you can do uh, to stay positive. Uh, actually, it's really mostly just his advice. Uh, and it's some good advice. And so let's let's listen to what Tim had to say. Just don't let anybody tell you what you can and cannot do. And always build those friends that are going to be honest with you, that aren't going to say something just to hurt you because you're succeeding and they're not. Because what happens when you succeed, you bring somebody with you always. And, and that comes from me saying, Elliot, if you want your own talk show, you can have your own talk show. That's what I've learned. It's the five people on one hand. You don't have to talk to them every day, but you know you can pick up the phone, send an email, whatever, that they're the ones that are going to be the ones that tell you, yeah, this is a good idea, or hey, why don't you sit down, write the negatives and positives down, and that's what Mike always told me. Sit down, write your negatives and positives for each job, and decide what you can and cannot live without. Thanks, Tim. That was some really good stuff. And uh, if you haven't listened to Tim's episode, I'd encourage you to go back and, and take a listen. Uh, he's a, a number of really good points, and he's got a great story. And he, he had a great journey, and I'm so glad he spent some time sharing it with us. Well, up next, we have Donnie Lee. And if you haven't listened to Donnie Lee's episode, then you're missing out because he's quite the character. In fact, let's just start out with one of my, my favorite quotes uh, out that, that he had in that show. Uh, 
where we're talking a little bit about fiscal responsibility and growing up in rural Arkansas and perspectives and views and things along those lines. Check this out. You know, like we had two vehicles and a brick house and it was all paid for. And, Mm -hmm. you know, people probably actually that I went to school with probably thought I was a little rich bastard and we didn't have nothing. (laughs) Right. We didn't have shit. Mom and dad took all the money they made and paid off the house so they could get out of debt. And they instilled that kind of in, in me. I just actually got done paying myself out of debt. Really? Day before yesterday. Congratulations. That I, I really, almost, yeah, but it, it ain't like that. And I didn't do it like them. I didn't do it out of no, I, yeah. hard work. I did it because I hit a freaking slot machine for nearly five grand. <laughs> <laughs> but, Dumb luck. but you, you then took that in. I could and have used gone the it, route sure. of Coke and whores, but I decided <laughs> I decided to pay my bills instead. So there we have some fiscal responsibility, redneck style. Now, uh, Donnie went on to say a lot of really interesting things throughout the episode. And here is, well, he starts out talking about success, but there's some really interesting gems in here. So check this one out. Maybe I had a different outlook back then. Now that I'm a full grown adult, hopefully, um, I kind of look at it as like, you know, there's, there's very few, or at least my definition is there's very few criteria involved in success mm-hmm. as opposed to maybe the the laundry list of criteria I looked at back then as the benchmark for success. Are you happy? Is everyone in your family still alive? Can you do kind of what you want to do? Are you starving? It really, you get, I have about a one hand's worth um, criteria for that as opposed to maybe, maybe a scroll back in my 20s. You know, of like, I I need the Ferrari pretty Mm -hmm. much to be successful. Nah, you don't need that shit. You know, are you happy? Is something making you unhappy? Then you need to get rid of that thing now. Whatever is it, whether it be a job, a a thing, you know, some kind of inanimate object. Is that thing bothering you? Get it out of your damn life Mm -hmm. now. Get it out. Yeah, you know, that is some wisdom that I wish I had capitalized on. I think you have to live it. I don't think you can just be told. Because people will tell you that shit all the time, man. Mm-hmm. Old people be like, what do you want all that for? All you need is, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. What are you trying to do? You know, what are you trying to do? And I'm not, I'm not necessarily advocating a, a life of, of meager existence for everyone or that that be their definition of success or not, whatever. Um, no, if your definition of success is is wearing $10,000 suits and driving uh, Magnum PI's car around or whatever. Great. Cool. Get it. That's mm-hmm. for you. Just saying it's not necessarily for everyone. And that's, that's, there's no cut and dried definition. So that was kind of interesting to listen to Donnie talk about success and his definition of it and how he has changed his paradigm, his perspective, his viewpoint, if you will, in the last, I don't know, 20, 30 years of his life. Now, I'm going to leave, we're going to finish up Donnie's uh, high points, if you will, on this last point that he has to, to make. And it's one of my favorites from any of the podcast episodes we've done thus far, because it is a grab life by the jugular, by the balls, by the neck and go for it and live your life. Don't just be passive, but live your life. Part of the reason why we do the podcast at all is because of that sentiment. So uh, let's listen to Donnie's final parting words. Man, you know, if you're in love with it and you're not doing it, or if you're doing it and you're not in love with it, change that because that's where I'm about to be. Mm-hmm. And uh, change it for the right reasons. Don't wait. Don't do something your whole life that you hate. 
because life is bloody well short. Grow a pair of balls, give it a go. You might fail and you might start getting addicted to that feeling. And pretty soon you're going to find something that you stroke it out of the park every time on. Mm. And that's success. Money don't mean shit. Happiness Mm. is everything. Money is not <laughs> happiness necessarily. Now, right. don't get me wrong. No, I I know we both I'll, love money. I'll swim yeah. and I'll do the I'll do the Scrooge McDuck shit all day and be like, <laughs> but at the end of the day, you can only swim in in gold coins for so long before that just is boring as hell. Mm-hmm. So do do what it is you do best, and the world will be better off for it, not just you. Well, that was some good stuff by Donnie Lee, and hopefully we'll have him back again. We actually have some other projects in the works that hopefully we can tell you about here in a few months. Really, really good stuff there. Now, moving on to our, our next interviewee is uh, one of one of my mentors in the IT field uh, and in life, too, is Hal Borland. And he and I have shared some things. Hal's actually the one that was able to help me uh, realize uh, that I had dyslexia and the challenges that, that I had growing up it were not just mental challenges. They were a, a real issue, uh, something that was diagnosable. Anyway, here is Hal talking about um, how how he kind of came to be, how he with, dealt with dyslexia, but also uh, one of our mutual friends, who I hope to have on the podcast one day, helped him understand that it wasn't that he was stupid. It wasn't that he lacked intelligence. It was that he had uh, a, a diagnosable thing that he was dealing with, and he just didn't know it, and he hadn't been diagnosed. So here's how telling that story. And what really me. turned it on for me was Odie, right? Mm-hmm. So Odie was diagnosed with, with dyslexia, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure. Uh, Straight-A student, I think he was honors. He was really good. He did really good. But when he went back to school for his doctorate in, um, I don't know exactly what it is, but he, uh, what he did. But so, but, but yeah. basically, just to tell you what he does today, mm-hmm. he is the head researcher for the state of Tennessee in dyslexia. Nice, right? Mm-hmm. And he said that working with me, it is kind of what changed his mind to go that route because he was going uh, on a psychology degree. He went and got his master's and got his doctorate, but. He said, working with me did that because he saw it. He saw how bad I struggled. Mm-hmm. And one of the things when he graduated, <laughs> I don't know, I'll make it through this, but um, he sent me an email and said, hey, um, you know, I just want you to know I'm working on a, a um, you know, a cure for dyslexia so that um, our kids don't have to go through what we went through. Oh, man. And I mean, awesome. it was like right in the gut. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> oh, so, but he's doing, he's doing really good. I haven't talked to him that much. Uh, I kind of keep up with him on Facebook, but yeah. you know, he was in, and I never can say this word. I never can say this state, Ma- Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Yes. Yeah. It's horrible for me. He was up there and then he ended up getting the job in uh, Chattanooga. Right. So, but yeah, the dyslexia, uh, he's what really brought it out. He, he said he could tell, he knew, he said they just misdiagnosed you. Man, think about that. Think about a couple things here. First of all, the impact that people can have on one another. If Odie hadn't had that impact on Hal, Hal wouldn't have been able to have that impact on me. And so look at all the good that one person can do. Now, we're going to move on to another point that Hal made. And actually, this was kind of what he wanted to say to everybody out there. So I'm going to let him say it. 
I think the, the, the thing I would like to say to, to anybody, anybody mm-hmm. listening is don't sell yourself short. You can do anything. You really can anything. And I know it's, it's me being, you know, a privileged, you know, mm-hmm. I've had, I've had a, I've had a, a fair share of advantages, mm-hmm. but it's not advantages by money. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. My you know, my father and mother, my mother didn't work. She well, she worked some, like in the worked in the cafeteria. Mm-hmm. And my father had his own business. And when I started getting older and starting needing more, like medical attention, you know, he had his own business where he was doing uh, auto body. Mm-hmm. And he decided he's like, I've got to do something for my family. And so he started driving tractor trailers. Mm-hmm. So he had insurance, right, and stuff. You know, he wanted to be an auctioneer. He went to auctioneer school. Really? Yeah. And so that was kind of his little dream and he, he did it and he did few, you know, few auctions and stuff, but he did it while he had his own business doing auto body, mm-hmm. had his own trucking company and was an auctioneer. People are amazing. And, yeah. People are amazing. And so that's what I want to tell you. Even if, even if you're down, even if you're down on your luck, there's a little ember of inspiration in there that can start a fire in you that no one can put out right right and you can do anything and that's what i tell my daughter i tell my daughter that she can do anything some good stuff from hal borland thanks for being on the podcast hal i really appreciate your time your insight and your wisdom your mentorship uh, and your friendship it's really been special well next up we have homer keys who is the proprietor of Firebird Straps. He takes old pieces of leather, repurposes them into guitar straps, custom-made guitar straps. It's a really, really great business. I highly suggest you check them out. Get on their Instagram, Firebird underscore straps, I believe, uh, and and check out the work that he's doing. Uh, Now, here is uh, Homer telling us a little bit about his progression and how he got into the career that he was in with uh, copiers and fixing copiers and uh, this is actually the same time that he worked with uh, Donnie Lee and myself at the uh, Ozarks and Limited Resources Cooperative so uh, let's listen to Homer tell a little bit about his story not just in his professional life and his personal life as well uh, and some of the challenges that he faced uh, up to including uh, contemplating just walking away from it all. Yeah, it drug it drug me into that that world, which was great. I was I believe I was there for eleven years. Wow. Yes. Uh, started off they threw a copier in front of me. Uh, had no clue how it worked, but I was always been good with uh, my hands and figuring out problems, troubleshooting. They handed me a screwdriver. Nathan Klein <laughs> handed me a screwdriver and goes fix it. No manual. He goes figure out what's wrong with it, and that's that was my start. Right really? There. Yes. Man, he just threw you the wolves, yeah, oh, didn't he? Did. he? He's he like, did. here, here, we're just going to here, yes. step into this fire. It was a great thing. You know, I was always good at troubleshooting, but when they did that, it took me to the next level. So it was it was a good uh, good experience. Uh, stayed there forever. Uh, some uh, stuff happened in my life where I uh, decided to move on um, three or four years ago, moving to Fayetteville. And uh, wasn't going to get back into the, the copy world. I was going to focus back on music. And then my, uh, my fiance's job fell through that we'd planned. She was going to work while I focused on music again. 
So I jumped back into the copier world for a, a, a corporate company, and and I'm still there right now. And uh, but I'm still looking to get out of that and get back into the music, the whole recording studio thing, and uh, go from there. Um, so you you mentioned uh, your fiance now, mm-hmm. and, and we don't have to talk about this if if you're not comfortable with it. But um, but you'd been married previous, yes. Right? That, Mm-hmm. obviously that ended can can you tell me a little bit about uh, about that that process um you know and how that affected you and so forth because the thing is is that you know that was a pretty devastating time for you yes um, it, you know at, at the end anyway yes. so if, if you could talk about that a little bit i would love to to kind of hear i probably won't mention her name but we had been married almost 20 years um and things kind of fell apart um there toward the end and uh some of it was me, uh, a lot of it was her, but I was willing to work out things and it just didn't work out. We'd, uh, you know, and by that time, toward the end of it, I was in such a dark place. I struggled with depression quite a bit and other things, you know, and it was at that time, which I'm thankful I don't anymore, I was heavily drinking. Playing shows, we were, uh, I was playing in three or four bands at that time while holding down two jobs, so I was never around. Yeah, you were trying to you were trying to uh, deal with your emotions. Yes, by, and I've been there. I've I've, I've worked two full time jobs and a part time job. I, mm-hmm. you know, I get it. You know, I was I was pretty dark. Um, not the uh, the person I was when I first met you. I was a lot brighter. My light was a lot brighter. A lot more naive. You know, um, I wouldn't recommend uh, going through whatever I went through to anybody. But I came out stronger, but a different person on the other side. You know, it's like. Uh, it kicked my 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 ass into <laughs> gear to, hey, you wasted this time. Even though it wasn't all waste, there was good times in that twenty some odd years. But there toward the end, it was definitely dark to where it was a, uh, I didn't really want to live, you know. And I hate to say it that way, but it was it was a, it was a bad enough time where that was a consideration of just walking away from everything and just giving up. That's a tough place to be in. It, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've been there, and, and you know, I mean, it's. Uh, yeah, there's, you know, there's not a way to really explain what that's like, you know, to anybody that hasn't experienced mm-hmm. it, you know, um, it, it's a, it's a, it obviously it's a dark place. It's a tough place. And it's a, it's a, a place that, you know, any one of us can face it really any time in our lives unexpectedly too. Um, you know, it just takes something to kind of, you know, but, but you were able, you know, we we're both able to survive 100% of our bad days to yes. this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately that's kind of all that matters, right? Yes. Well, definitely, definitely the, the, the new person in my life, well, big part of pulling me through it, but it took a lot of willpower just to get up. You know, luckily I was always a strong person. I was always one of those folks that was always the listener listening to other folks when they were having trouble and giving advice. But when it came to my turn, I didn't have a whole lot of that around. So it was a struggle you know, to, to get through that barrier. Wow. Some pretty tough stuff there, you know, make sure you reach out to your friends when you need something, because everybody I know would rather talk with you all night long than listen to your eulogy. We all go through dark places. It's nothing to be ashamed of. I've been there. I know you've been there. You might be there right now. Make sure you reach out, reach out to your friends, reach out to local pastor or your church if you believe uh, reach out to a, a therapist if you need to whatever the case may be reach out don't be afraid to do that 
Connection binds us together. Connection heals us. Vulnerability makes us stronger. Now, let's go ahead and listen to Homer talk about uh, the genesis of the idea behind uh, Firebird Straps and, and how the rebirth of, of the Phoenix and, and the Firebird uh, gave him the inspiration to go ahead and build Firebird Straps. I'd always had it in the back of my mind uh, that I could do this. You know, I could make something out of nothing or something that's fixing to be thrown away and give it new life. Um, the whole, let's go back to the, to the name. My very, my first car that I bought as a kid, I had worked hauling hay, picking up rocks, picking up cans, uh, saved up enough money to buy a 1983 Pontiac Trans Am. So that's, and that ever since then, I've been obsessed with Phoenix plus the whole legend of rebirth and renewal. Yeah. And it comes back as something new or at least uh, something maybe even better, maybe not better, but something new. It's given new life. And I'd had this thought in my head for years. Why can't you take something like an old belt or an old boot, something leather, you know, that uh, from an animal that gave its life for this material. And I'd always seen this material either in a Goodwill or somebody throw it to the curb or in a dumpster, you know, and it's just, it always made me a little bit sad you know, yeah. it's, I'm not a vegetarian, even though I was once for a period of my time. But, uh, you know, that this leather came from an animal that gave its life for this material for uh, for us to use for something from uh, from wearing a belt to a car seat or whatever. It sounds to me like you're talking about respect. Right? Yes. It's, a, it's respect a bit, for the life that that inhabited what it was at one time. Yeah. And I get kind of that from my grandmother on my dad's side because she's almost full blooded Cherokee. So. I kind of get the whole Native American give respect. You kill right. an animal, thank them for letting you eat them or whatever, or use their material. Give respect, you know, every living thing, for, even if, if it's an animal to a plant, you know. If we're all here for a reason, and if, you know, something happens to or we don't have that, the other element, then we all perish, you know. So I'm just, instead of, instead of just, uh, I could go and buy new leather, and go that route, but then I wouldn't be doing my part to save this leather that's out there already that's either worn out because a police officer can't wear their, their duty belt once it gets worn in. They've got to throw it away and buy a new one. That's how it works. It's pretty fascinating, isn't it? Look, look what Homer was able to do was correlate a really impressive story about rebirth and make it the story that he uses to give new life to old things, to recycle. Uh, I know it's really popular these days, the eco-friendly stuff, but it's true. He has a lot of respect for the animals that gave their lives to create leather. And so rather than let the old stuff just go into a dump or not be used, he respects it enough to be able to give it new life. And he makes fabulous, fabulous uh, straps. And so you should definitely check him out. And one of my favorite things by anyone that's been on the podcast is from Homer. And that's the one I'm going to share with you next about art and doing things messy and creating something from within yourself. And luckily, it didn't take too many times messing up, but I messed up. It's, it's no lie about that. And I still mess up because right now, I'm always, I'm still trying to even keep it simplistic, trying to keep the mechanical part out of it. I want it to be hand tools. And uh, so sometimes uh, they may not be exactly perfect, but art isn't supposed to be perfect. 
That's a really great point. Art is not supposed to be perfect. It's supposed to be an expression of who you are, an expression of what you have within. And I appreciate the fact that you remind us about that, Homer. Thank you for being on the podcast and, and for your friendship. I, I appreciate it so much. Now, this is part one of a two-part series on the retrospective of the last season of Plain Ordinary Dragon. And so the last interviewee today is my wife. Uh, Jana Gibson Clifton. We're so glad that she came on and, and was so vulnerable. Uh, you know, that podcast is one that I can never get through without tearing up, uh, to say the least. So uh, here she talks to us a little bit about how she was able to basically set a goal or a vision or a dream for herself and then go after it and have some success there. So let's listen to how she uh, went about that. Anyway, so high school was good. I uh, played basketball. Um, when I was in sixth grade, that was the first year that you could really participate kind of in basketball. And I was terrible. I was awful, just awful. It, it was really bad. Like I went out and I was like a bull in a china closet. I was just throwing girls across the floor, like knocking people over, couldn't dribble, you know, none of that stuff. I was still young enough that I believed there were in anything I wanted to do, I could do. So it was at that point that I decided, you know what, I'm just going to be good at basketball. That's what I'm going to do. That summer, I worked and worked and worked, and my mom and dad built me a um, basketball court in the backyard just out of a concrete slab and a goal that we had stuck up, and I worked constantly trying to improve and get better, and I did. And the next year I came back and I was really good. And by the time I was in high school, I was really good for that area, you know, as small of a town as we were, that sort of thing. Um, you know, I'm not under any illusions that I could have been a role player or anything, but I was, especially compared to where I came from, I was really good. So I won MVP three out of the four years I was in high school and so that was what my high school was about was basketball like that's all I really cared about that's why I ran track in the off season you know so as soon as basketball season was over my senior year I didn't run track anymore. <laughs> what a good way to set a goal go for it and find some success. Uh, it, it's a classic story, but it's one to pay attention to because if you really put your mind to it and you really work at it, uh, you can find really great success in things. A lot of times people don't find success because they give up before they've given themselves a chance to succeed. Now, the next piece of this conversation isn't nearly as pretty. Uh, Jana lost her older brother in a pretty, uh, tragic uh, four-wheeler accident when he was really young and so here she's going to talk a little bit about the way that affected her growing up and how she saw that and the perspective that she had from that experience you were the youngest in your family yes i guess that's true you had an older brother I had an older brother. He passed away. I believe I was four uh, when he passed away. So he was nine. When you lost a sibling at that age, mm -hmm. um, 
How did that affect you at that age and growing up? I know it affected me greatly, but to what extent, I'm not sure. I think I'm still trying to figure that out. I'm still trying to figure out how it affects me. Uh, I'm just now on the cusp of that, I think. Um, I spent a lot of years trying to replace that friendship uh, and that relationship, and it just can't be replaced. And I didn't realize that that was what I was doing until a year or two ago. I always wondered why my friendships were never, never quite added up to what I was expecting. How much older than you was he? Five years. Oh, so there was there was a good stretch there. Yes. So he was he was the big older brother, and that's you know something that's impossible to replace, obviously. Sure. And so you didn't didn't feel like at the time that there was a lot of fallout from that, like in your high school years and so forth. I don't know. I have this wonderful coping mechanism that my brain does that uh, traumatic times in my life I can't remember. I've just completely blocked a lot of it out. So for a lot of years, I thought that it didn't affect me that much because I was so young when it happened. I was only four, and so you're just really starting to be able to form good memories at that point um, that you can retain I thought, well, it, ha- it hasn't affected me that much because I was so young, but I've found that to not be true. It affects us. It always affects us. And sometimes the fallout from that is, is really rough. But sometimes you can find your way through it, as she did. Now, we're going to skip quite a bit ahead. Uh, Jana is about to tell you about an experience she had uh, birthing our second child. And she did it all natural in a cabin in the woods. We had a midwife. It was a really great experience, but it was really, really tough and really, really challenging. But she also found that on the other side of that, it was very empowering as well. And so here's the story of how she was able to persevere through this pregnancy and through a 40-hour labor as well. Naively, I thought, oh, at worst, this is going to take 20 hours. But since this is my second baby, it's only going to take 10. You know, like, but I'm hoping for eight. Like, I'm hoping eight is going to be the the sweet spot. So we thought, oh, well, we'll go have lunch. And then, you know, I'll have my strength for pushing and all of that. And everything will be fine. Um, When, in retrospect, what we should have done is slept. Yeah, because neither one of us had had much sleep at all. And... If, if we had to do over again, that is the one difference I, I would, there, there are two things I would do differently. One is I would hire a doula. Yep. I, w- I, I wouldn't even think twice. I might even hire two. Mm. And uh, I would definitely make sure that we slept as soon as we could, that we wouldn't be tired in that process. That because was the biggest what, challenge. Yeah, what ended up happening is we went and had lunch. We went back to the cabin. Stacy, the midwife, came a few hours later and to check on us, and I had dilated a little bit more, uh, but not a whole lot, but things were getting more intense. You know, when it first started, I could walk around, I could joke, it wasn't really that big of a deal. You know, it kind of hurt when I was having the contraction, but it wasn't that bad. And things started getting, like the closer we got to sundown, the worse it got. It started getting pretty intense. Yeah. 
Yeah, spicy Mexican food was maybe not the best idea to speed that up. Uh, and she again. and she was like, "Yeah, yeah, you're in labor. We're gonna ha- we're gonna have this baby. So you're not going back home. You're gonna stay right here." And so that's what we did. Little did we know that m- midwives, we kind of just thought, oh, well, she's our midwife, and once we go into labor, she's going to be there with us. Uh, nothing against her. We just didn't know that that's not how it works. So she came by every few hours to check on progress and see how things were going. But really, it was just us. You it, know. it was. A short 40 hours later. Yeah, we have a YouTube video on it if anybody wants to see it. But uh, yeah, it took 40 hours for Raylan to make his big debut. Uh, And by the time he got there, I was so exhausted. I just thought if I can do this, I can do anything because it was so hard. You know, it wasn't emotionally hard, like say my father's death or divorce. It was the hardest thing I've done physically ever and probably will ever do. And I had been around a lot of home births in my time. My sister had all three of her children at home with a midwife. My mother had all five of hers. I was there for every birth. I really had an understanding of how this all kind of would usually come together. Uh, but I, I was not a, aware of some of the, the intricacies of birthing there. Right. Don't get me wrong. I, um, I knew it was going to be hard and I knew it was going to hurt. But I just had no idea how much, you know, um, there was one point I remember, uh, at the end when we're, we were in the throes and she was telling me to push and I was sitting on this birthing stool and I, there was sweat dripping off of the end of my nose and I was completely naked and it, you know, it was a very primal experience, the most primal thing I've ever done. But, uh, I remember, she was down there and I was on this birthing stool and I was pushing and she, she was doing something and, and it was hurting. Like every time she would say push, it was hurting, but it wasn't hurting in the way it had been hurting. It was hurting different and I couldn't figure out what was wrong. So she was down there and something was feeling different. She said something to the effect, I, you heard it more than I did, but it was something to the effect of I had very narrow pelvic bones. So what she was ha- what she was doing was she was sticking her hands in around the baby's head or Raylan's head where he was crowning and she was basically prying them open for lack of a better word she was moving she, the bones that's so exactly what she so was. that Raylan's head could fit mm-hmm. through the birth canal and that was so much more painful than any of the rest of it had been And even though I love my midwife dearly, I wanted to punch her in the face. Oh, I'm sure you did. (laughs) I've never, I've never quite watched. I've never seen an experience quite like what you went through. It was 40 hours. Uh, Raylan was born. He was a healthy little baby. And we spent the next, I don't know, three or four days here. Was it maybe a week? It, it was, it was three or four days, I think. It was, um, you know, we had the the postnatal care that needed to be done, and and you know he uh, he did develop jaundice, and we had to go to a doctor and have some blood drawn and things like that, and um, we learned a lot of things in the process. But he turned out to be just fine, and uh, it, it's kind of funny because 
when you and I first got together, I told you that mom and dad had all their kids at home. That's and right. when we started getting serious. Uh, and, he, and he also told me that he wanted to have 12 children. So me being the smart aleck that I am, I said something to the effect of, well, I'm not having my babies in a box under the stairs. <laughs> and, of course, I supported you all the way with, with that particular thing, like whether you wanted to do it natural or whether you wanted to go to a hospital or whatever. I, right. You know, I just wanted you to be happy with your choices. But the funny thing was is that I remember when, uh, when you were laying on the, on the futon bed uh, with Raylan in your arms, I looked up above you and I realized that you had given birth under a set of stairs. Yeah, as we were leaving, like I said, we have a YouTube video on it. So if you guys want to see all of this stuff, go to the Electronic Cliftons and just look at the YouTube video. I haven't posted one in years, but that one is on there. Um, anyways, as we were leaving and taking our video, as we were leaving that day, well, not that day, but the day we left to come back home, um, we were panning around and kind of showing the cabin and sure enough, I had had my baby on a futon <laughs> under the stairs or on a, not a futon, but on a birthing stool under the stairs. So it was quite a fitting story. For it, sure. it was, it was kind of fun. What do you feel like you learned from the pregnancy with Raylan and going through that? Now you'd said earlier that you felt like it empowered you to, realize that you could do pretty much anything because it was so intense and so forth. Well, you know, when we're children and you're told you can be anything you want to be, or you can do anything you want to do and you believe it, like you wholeheartedly believe it. And because you wholeheartedly believe it, it's true. You know, there's a saying, um, she believed she could, whether she, whether he believed he could or whether he believed he couldn't, that was the truth, you know, whatever that saying is. I found that to be very true in my life. With Raylan's birth, you know, I had always pictured it as, you know, I'm going to be this strong, powerful mother that can give birth to her child in a cabin in the middle of the woods in the dead of winter and it's all going to be fine. You know, I've, I've got it in me. That's what I'm made to do. It's what my body's made to do. I can do it. Once I had gone into labor and we were there and we were in the middle of that experience, I wholeheartedly believed it. There was no, may, maybe I should be at the hospital or maybe I can't do this. It was, yeah, I'm here and I'm doing this. And even though it was hard and I was so tired and I was so ready to be done, once I had gotten through it, almost like when you're running a marathon or a 5K, I was like, wow, I did it. Like, I really, really did it. Like, I set my goals on this thing. And even though it took nine months and it was really hard, plus another 40 hours of labor, like, I did it. I did it, and I'm here. And if I can do this, I can do anything. Very empowering. Yes. It, it uh, and, and, and I've been able to see that change too. And the key to part of that is having a good midwife. There was points during the labor, sure, that I was like, I'm so tired. And, you know, we had been at it for 36 hours and it was so painful. And I was so sure that I, you know, she was going to say push, you know, because with Dylan, after my water broke, it was, you know, like after my water broke, we had Dylan with 
in hours. You know, he was in our arms very quickly. With Raylan, that just wasn't the case. And I just kept being sure that that she was going to say, okay, it's time to push. And she would say, oh, you're only seven centimeters. And it was so defeating. And at one point she looked at me and she said, I know you can do this. If at any point during this process, had I thought you can't handle this, I would have never agreed to let you be my client. So when she said that to me, I was like, hell yeah, I can do this. And you did. I did. She did it. And there was never a doubt in my mind that that was going to turn out that way. But it was a challenge for her to go through. But talk about an empowering moment. Think about the way she feels now and the way that that we should all feel. Yeah, hell yeah, we did this. We can do this. We have this ability. And it's hard. Sometimes the work is really, really hard. The hardest you may do in your entire life. But that is the thing that really empowers you and lets you know how how strong you really are. So the last bit of the interviews for today is going to be Jana's uh, final thoughts for us. Uh, when I asked her what she wanted to share, this is what she said. Do you ever look back and realize, wow, I've been through so much. Based on that alone, how bright the future can be. Sure, yeah, I look I look back on things and 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 think, wow. Hmm, yeah, I guess I guess a lot has happened, you know. Um you don't really realize it. Like when the bad things happen, it it's terrible and it's a bad thing and you know it's a bad thing, but you don't realize <clears throat> how much of it you've been through until you start, I guess, tallying it for lack of a better word. Um so, yeah, there have been a lot of things happen. Gosh, it's made me so strong, and it's made me so resilient. Um, I wouldn't be half of what I am today if I hadn't had to face those things. Let me ask you this. What would you tell anybody else out there about going through challenging experiences and challenging situations with the world of Facebook that we have now there's a lot of memes all over and so you know I'm sure everyone has seen this uh, but there's a saying that you you have no idea how strong you are until you have no other choice and that's true even when you are looking at things that seem like they are insurmountable that this is something I can't do this is something I'm not made for I'm not qualified for, or I can't do it. I just don't have, I can't. But then when you have to, you can. You, you have no other choice. And when you come out the other side of it, you're amazed by just how resilient you actually are. And that's what we're going to leave you with today, Dragons. It's been a really great episode reminiscing over some of these amazing stories. Like, I so enjoy listening to these again because these people have done such amazing things in their lives. Things that they've pushed themselves through and they've come out the other side better, more resilient, and really more self-aware of how powerful they are. And we should all do that. So we'll be back next week with part two. I hope you enjoyed this week. If you did, please go out and leave us a, a comment on iTunes or Podchaser. Uh, 
and share the episode if you want. Uh, you know, that's that's how the message is spread. And I hope I hope this was worth your time, your energy and your focus, uh, because there were some really great jewels and gems that we can apply to our own lives to make them better and to make the lives of other people better as well. And really, isn't that really what we're here for? Remember, you might be plain and you might be ordinary, but you're a dragon and we can't wait to hear your voice in this world.